Hi, and welcome to Deep Dive with Jamie Stein, where we take a deep dive look at all things reality TV, pop culture, and the world at large. I'm an intuitive and an empath, which means I pick up on the thoughts, feelings, and energy percolating in other people in the world around me. I believe there is meaning waiting to be found at every turn if you're willing to see it. So join me as we dismantle everything from trash TV to high spiritual concepts and learn more about ourselves, each other, and how we're all connected. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Deep Dive with Jamie Stein. I know it's been a minute since I've last recorded. Uh, I've been on what I would call an unofficial, unplanned hiatus for the last month and a half, and I don't want to leave you guys in the dark, so I want to explain what's been going on and also give you a sense of what to expect moving forward. So yeah, basically, long story short, I've just been in the midst of a lot of personal and professional transition. Um, And in a lot of ways, this personal and professional transition does actually relate to the podcast. And I'll explain that in a second. But uh, I believe I may have mentioned this before, but I have relocated to New Mexico. So at the end of June, I officially let go of my home in LA. I put my furniture in storage. And yeah, I, I, I left for New Mexico. Ago. I've lived in California for over 20 years. Uh, it's it's where I've called home for the last 20 plus years and I left. Um, I arrived in New Mexico July 1st and um, I've been here since. Um, I'm not calling it a permanent move at this point. It's just kind of open-ended and indefinite, but you know, it's definitely like a, a long-term relocation for now. And yeah, I'm, I'm in the unknown. I'm bouncing around. I've been in, in a different residence every month, which for someone like me, who not only is a bona fide, highly sensitive person, but also a, uh, true blue cancer who loves having a home to be rooted in and to nest in, it, it, it requires a lot of my emotional and energetic bandwidth. So that's been kind of on the forefront of my life. And the other thing on the professional level is that I have, in fact, started my first group program. Um, so I'm making a shift from individual one-on-one work to group work. And I actually mentioned that a bit in my last episode. And so a lot of my spare time and energy the past few months has been to the formation of this group program and getting it off and running. And I will say it is going incredibly well and really deep work is happening already. So I'm really excited about that. But having said that, the reason why um, this is important to mention for the podcast is that all of these decisions do in large part come from a place in me that really wants to create more time and space for things like recording podcast episodes, for things like content creation. You know, I receive a lot of feedback from listeners letting me know that um, what we explore here really has like an honest to God impact on them. And that's something that I take really seriously. And it's something that I want to continue doing. So I've just had a vision for a while of really being able to have more time and space to create more content and to put it out there. So these decisions that I'm making, both, you know, leaving LA, which just wasn't 
working. I mean, I literally felt cramped in this overcrowded, loud, dense city. It was it was exhausting me. So coming to a place like New Mexico where there's literally wide open space and I feel I can breathe and I can recharge just by stepping outside my front door and wandering around the desert and taking in the quiet. And like I said, making a transition in my work where instead of my energy going into um, a lot of one-on-one work, I can start to work with more people at once, which is going to free up more time and space. So please do not take this unofficial hiatus as a sign or an indication that the podcast is going anywhere or that um, I'm dropping out of it. It's actually quite the contrary. The reason why there's been this hiatus, it's directly because of my intention to actually create more content in the future. Now, I don't know exactly when this is all going to roll out. I do feel myself getting back into the swing of things. And it's my uh, my gentle goal to be back in my regular biweekly schedule by the end of this year. And then, like I said, moving forward, I, I really have an intention to maybe be someone who releases an episode every week. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I just know that, like I said, I really do have an intention to create more content, and that's where this is all coming from. On that note, I just want to thank everyone for hanging in there with me. What's amazing to me is that even though my episodes have become more sporadic, the numbers haven't changed, and people are continuing to listen. So I I can't express my gratitude to people for uh, hanging out in my very inconsistent creative process. So having said all that, I'm really excited about today's episode for a couple reasons. Um, One, we're going to be getting into a franchise that is historically actually my favorite franchise of the whole Real Housewives empire. It is the franchise that actually got me into the Real Housewives in the first place. And yet, because of the timing of this podcast, which started in April 2021, um, I really haven't had too much of a chance to go deep into this franchise. I am, of course, talking about The Real Housewives of Orange County uh, because it's been in a bit of a slump for the past few years. So there really hasn't been much of an occasion to um, maybe dive into it in the same way that the other franchises were calling to me. But as we all know, our reigning OC queen, Tamara judges back and there's definitely a lot of reinvigorated energy in the real housewives of orange county a lot of people are loving it so it felt finally like the right time to kind of dust it off and really give it what i feel is it's due in terms of my own heart and reality tv loving soul so i'm really excited to get into that And I'm also really excited for today's episode because I feel like we have a very special guest. Uh, We have someone who, first of all, has her own incredibly successful popular podcast that's dedicated to all things reality TV and unscripted television. And she also has the added perspective of not coming from Orange County originally, but she's been there for over 15 years. So uh, she definitely has a unique perspective that she can bring to all this as we jump in. Please welcome to the deep dive, Kate Casey of Reality Life with Kate Casey. Hi, Kate. Hi, thank you for having me. No, it's my pleasure. I was I was saying to you beforehand, I feel like this has been a long time in the making. <laughs> I know. I actually think you first messaged me after my first appearance ever on Bitch Sesh way back when. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I'm like a nerd. I remember all, all uh, lots of stuff like that. Uh, it, it's almost like sometimes I have to play it down, like 
all the things that I remember. Um, I don't know. It's like this weird, I have like a superior recall for things that are sometimes just make no sense. Mm-hmm. Like when I was growing up, I would read magazines all the time, everything from Newsweek to people. And I would remember details about people and I could recall it. And it sometimes is embarrassing because the people's reactions would be like, why are you so obsessed with that person? And it's just like I read it once and then it like sticks in my brain and it never goes away. Have you ever explored that? Is that actually like some sort of special skill in terms of memory recall? Yeah, it's actually called superior recall. There's a, there's a um, actually um, a program through the University of California at Irvine where they study memory. And um, yeah, they've deduced that my specific memory is called superior personal detail recall. Oh, that's so interesting. And is there anything else about that you learned just in terms of, I don't know. Unfortunately, there's no connection to that and IQ. (laughs) You would think, uh, but actually it's hereditary. Um, And so in my family, the memory is not this, it's not the exact same, but um, for example, my, my dad has superior recall for moments in history. And then my grandmother had superior recall for music. She was a musician and she could look at a sheet of music and then remember it. It's so fascinating. What always sort of interests me, kind of like what you're saying, is what I do have great memory for and then what I don't have great memory for, even in terms of reality TV, for example. So Mm -hmm. with the Housewives... I will remember every last detail of every season, you know, down to whatever. And yet other reality shows, like, for example, Survivor, which I used to be a big fan of. I mean, when I tell you that I would watch a whole season and once the season ends, like people would mention the name of the winner and I would just be like, who, (laughs) what, like what season were they from? So it's always fascinating to me. Like, why do I hold on? Yeah. To certain certain things. Yeah. Certain shows, but not other shows. It is interesting. All right. Well, let me ask you here. I'm so fascinated because you do really have this quite impressively successful podcast, which, you know, I always sort of take that as information that you yourself are probably a very creatively powerful woman and a a powerful manifester. And I'm just so curious, how did this even start for you in the first place? Because you were originally in PR, right? Uh, Yeah, I went to school, I thought I would work in politics, and I would worked um, on a lot of campaigns. And then I took a job where I worked with or worked for a company that represented former senators that had gone back to their law firms. So I ended up doing PR for law firms for like 16 years doing crisis media and um, media strategy. And then I, on the side, I loved, I've always loved comedy. So I started this blog, which doesn't like people don't blog anymore, but I would do recaps of shows, including real housewives of orange County. And I would recap the show, but in uh, what's now called fan fiction, like I would, make up conversations that didn't happen. I, it's almost similar to like a Brian Moylan kind of style. So um, I did that for a while. And then I started getting invited to podcasts. And then I thought to myself, this is something that I could do. This is like right up my alley. And the beginning of the show really, I, and actually I'm having my seven year anniversary this weekend oh, or no on Monday. Congratulations. Um, the show was actually first um, like a love letter to reality TV where I would have um, an opening and a closing, just like I do have now. And then I, my idea was to track down people that have been on reality shows to see how it changed the tra- trajectory of their life. Like, 
what happened to the people that were on the real world and how did how was being on that show and how did it change their life um so it kind of started that way and then over time i've expanded it to more than that and everything that's under unscripted tv so i cover reality shows documentaries and docu-series real people real stories they're to me way more interesting than watching something scripted and did you always have an interest in unscripted as a general um yeah category like, okay yeah like I, I in high school i would go like you know when you would like rent movies i would go to the documentary section and i would watch like the alive documentary and then want to watch the like the making of the documentary <laughs> and i was more interested in that than actual movies i've I'm the kind of person that goes to a dinner party and I get really uh, involved in conversations to the horror of my husband. He's like, oh my God, can't we leave? But I start talking to people and I get like sucked into what I call the KKC vortex where I want to know everything about you. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we're the only two people in the room and I end up just having so many great conversations with people because of it. And Sometimes people are like, I feel like you know everybody. I'm like, it's because I talk to everybody. And my kids are always like, oh my God, don't let her talk to people because I, I, I just love talking to people and hearing all about their life experiences. And I always tell my kids, like, the more you learn about other people, the more you're going to learn about yourself. So I actually have a rule when um, they go on play dates. I always say, you have to come back and tell me two interesting things about their parents. So I feel like I've just always been really a curious person. But I also think I grew up in a place, in the Philadelphia area, where people really talk to each other all the time. And I think my family members were always interested in other people too. I find the best kind of people in the world are interesting and interested. Mm-hmm. And was there a moment with your podcast that felt like a real turning point for you where it just felt like... Okay, this is shifting from. I mean, I, I mean, this is an assumption on my part, but maybe something that's a little bit more homegrown or that I'm starting out with. To it's really sort of taking on a, a sort of life of its own. Um, I think that once I started to do more complex stories, so going from like reviewing The Bachelor to doing docu series and documentaries as well, um, like episodes where I interview people like Amanda Knox, who was wrongfully um, convicted or um, people that are in the center of a scandal or a true crime situation. I, I was, I, I think that it kind of pivoted that way where I think I was giving people permission to explore um, other storytelling and I firmly believe the same people who watch reality television watch true crime, who watch cult documentaries, who watch um, competition shows. I think that we're all just cultural anthropologists mm -hmm. and we're all just fascinated by human behavior. So I get frustrated when people kind of put down reality shows like, oh, it's like bottom of the barrel. I'm losing brain cells. And I, I just think, well, what? that's your loss because... Basically, you're saying that you, you're not interested in human behavior. And that to me, it's like watching this stuff is like watching a or being part of like a college course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm always saying. It's, you know, people can sort of turn their noses up at reality TV. I mean, from a spiritual perspective, I'm always just like, but we're creating this, you know, as a collective. This is a, this is a part of pop culture. It's a part of the collective yeah. consciousness. So you can 
sweep it under a rug or turn your back on it. But this is part of our waking dream for a reason. And yeah. it's got something to say. And it's like, there's a reason why so many people are tuning in. There's a reason why we're preoccupied with it. It's holding up some sort of reflection to ourselves and to your point to our own humanity. So why would you ever just categorically dismiss something that obviously, like I said, has its foothold in the collective conscious, like that in and of itself, mm. I feel like warrants being interested in it to some degree, or at least not dismissive of it. And by the way, those same people are like, I don't watch. I'm so busy. I love it when somebody tells me I'm so busy. And then five minutes later, they can tell me every contestant on the show who oh. won the last season. They're like, oh, I thought you said you're too busy and too intellectual to watch stuff like that. Well, let me ask you one last question just about your podcast, just because I'm so interested. I, you know, I hear you saying that uh, it pivoted when you started getting these guests who were part of reality, like docuseries and true crime and whatnot, and that you had an intention to interview people who had been on these shows. And it feels to me like knowing very little about you personally, it feels to me like you are someone who just says yes to your impulses and goes for it and makes the request. And I'm just so curious, like it sort of has that always been your process of, Oh, I have an impulse. I have a vision for who I want as a guest. I'm just going to put it out there and ask, or what's that been like for you? Yeah. I just feel like I come across things and I become so obsessed with them. I'm relentless in the pursuit for it. It's almost like a competition. I played college sports. It's, it's sort of like that mindset. Like I'm just relentless with my tenacity so it's it's i don't see it as so much as like this spiritual thing like i'm manifesting but more of like a challenge mm -hmm. the challenge of like can i get somebody can i get that person but also like leaving no stone unturned like i've got to get that story so there's like an aspect of it that feels very journalistic although i would not call myself a journalist but like i have i got to get to the meat of that story i've got to get it first and was there was there anyone who was like particularly hard to get that you really fought for? Oh my! I mean, so many people. I mean, I, sometimes I make jokes um, that it's sometimes easier for me. The the people that you would think would be the easiest are the hardest to get. Like a, somebody on the Jersey Shore may be really hard to get because they've encircled themselves with all these weirdos that like make them think that they're a movie star. And it's there's actually all these layers that you have to go through to get to that person. But then other people you would think are really hard to get. And I've like DM them or sent them a d direct message on Twitter or found their LinkedIn profile. And then they wrote me back right away. So it always surprises me that the people that you think would be hard to get um, are really not. Well, yeah, that kind of leads me to my last question about all this before we jump in is, uh, yeah, if you were to kind of give advice to anyone, you know, maybe not even necessarily, I mean, maybe there are people out there who have an interest in starting a podcast, but maybe, you know, just have an interest in creating something and sort of taking the leap. What would you say are kind of, yeah, your one or two most, uh, important lessons from this journey no one's going to help you you have to do it yourself don't rely on other people ever i'm always st st stunned when somebody has a new show and they have a like a team of people helping them i'm like you could do this all yourself you could save the time and resources it's just about how hard you're going to work you i mean it's just the same as i would have given advice to somebody who worked in pr or law or anything 
you have to be the first person to show up and the last person to leave, meaning you have to work harder than everybody else. But if you really like something, it doesn't really feel like work. Basically, I created a job that didn't exist, which was watching reality shows and getting paid for it. There wasn't really, it didn't exist. And I had this idea and people laughed at it for like a good three years. Like, what is a podcast? It was like a joke. Now everybody wants a podcast, right? You have to believe in yourself. You have to work harder than everybody else and make the job that doesn't exist. You're probably not going to get paid for a little bit. You got to like, don't have these expectations. You're going to make a million dollars right off the bat. But if you really like something, it shouldn't feel like work. But again, you just have to work harder than everybody else. Well, what I love about what you're saying, and this sort of goes back to to your unapologetic tenacity. I guess I'll say this as someone who you know works with a lot of people. You know, I know there are probably a lot of people out there who might get bashful or shy about being tenacious. You know, who might be bashful or shy about like really sort of fighting for the guests they want, not taking no for an answer. And I just kind of love what you're bringing in around that lack of apology, but also what you're speaking to now of, yeah, there were people who thought I was crazy. There were people who were laughing at me. I didn't give a fuck. Like I, I had an idea that I believed in and not letting any kind of outside interference get in the way of your own creative impulse and inner, inner knowing for it. Yeah. And, and you'll feel rewarded later when you see so many other people trying to basically create something similar then you know you did something right when other people are are trying to create something similar right well having said all that why don't we pivot into the world of orange county there's so much to get into you are someone i believe you just told me you've been in orange county for 17 years Mm -hmm. yes So I'm just so curious right off the bat, as someone who's been in this world, I mean, and you are literally married with children in Orange County, when you watch the show, and obviously the answer might even change over the course of the 17 seasons it's now been on the air, is this reflective of a reality that you experience in your... No, not at all. So can you speak to that a little bit? No, and I'm sure people are like, I've heard you say this before, but it's the truth. I should say, I live in a in a coastal community. Orange County is very diverse. It is a very diverse county. I don't think that's ever represented on the show. There is, um, There are a lot of pocket communities with uh, very rich cultural traditions. Um, it's not all really, really wealthy either. It's, it's almost like you just drive right outside a couple towns as you go inland, there can be a completely different socioeconomic situation. So I think people kind of don't understand that when they watch the show. I also think that one thing that they do not really talk about is people's disinterest in going beyond their little small community. So if you live in one town, maybe you'll go one or two towns over socially but you certainly wouldn't be friends with somebody in like if you live in Dana Point, you're never going to go to Ladera Ranch. And Ladera Ranch people don't hang out with anybody from Laguna Beach. And Laguna Beach don't, people don't even hang out in Huntington Beach. Like when I meet or when I when I see Heather Dubrow on the show, I mean, I, I know a lot of them. I've seen them. And I talk to them like in the normal world. But Heather Dubrow really is like a Crystal Cove person to me. She just has that look. 
I know she goes to the restaurants there. She's totally different than Emily. Emily reminds me of like a San Clemente person. And then Gina is absolutely a Coda DeCazo person. So even though Gina is from New Jersey, this is what's so weird about this place is the minute you move here, people just sort of meld into the community that they're part of. And she just totally reminds me of a Coda DeCazo person. So I feel like they miss out on that. Those conversations where Heather would be like ripping on the Coda DeCazo of it all or, you know, like kind of highlighting that. They make it seem like all of these women who are from very different parts of the county hang out casually. That's weird. People here, when someone meets you, they have this idea of like, oh, they must be from that place. And I feel like they could capture that. And when you say Gina, are you talking about old school Gina who lived in Coda? Or are you talking about new school Gina who lives in New the school case? Gina. Oh, really? What makes her... Because obviously we know Kodo from the way she, yeah. The way she dresses, like the way her house is. Um, she just reminds me of... Like a Kodo person is much less uh, branding themselves in luxury. They're more laid back. They're more like suburb, like true suburbia. I could just tell she's the kind of person that probably hangs out with a group of eight girls and they'll just like go to someone's pool. They probably go on trips to Palm Springs together. She just has a way about her that I could tell she lives in Cota de Casa. Heather Dubrow seems like a Crystal Cove person because it's a, it's a, like a private uh, neighborhood with like Heather's old house. You had to drive through one gate and then go up like a, like a mile and a half to another gate and then through another gate. She's sort of distant, you know, in, in the way her personality is like people from Crystal Cove are behind this gate figuratively and literally where they're they almost like hold themselves like I wouldn't be with the peasants kind of thing. People that make these shows that live within the counties or within the city so they can pick up on all those nuances. Like if you were to talk about New York, for example, the way like a Brooklyn woman like Cy there are different nuances to the way that she goes about life, the way she looks at things, the, the restaurant she goes to, the way she dresses than someone who lives in the Upper East Side. And I guess if we're talking about Kodo and the Kodo archetype, you know, I just got to ask, how does Vicky fit or not fit into that? Because you mentioned sort of laid back, hanging by the pool. Like, where, yeah, where is she in this Kodo spectrum? <laughs> Uh, the only part of it that she would fit into me is like competitive mom, like suburban competitive mom where, you know, I'm going to throw the party at my house so I can show off my grotto. She does have a nice grotto. <laughs> you know, like I'm going to show off what I've built and I want people to know that I work in insurance and I've created this. I didn't need my loser ex-husband. I built this whole thing and now look at my house. But she also wants to be like the cool. She was like a helicopter mom who wanted to be cool. She, mm -hmm. she was like conflicted about that. And that's like a suburb suburban mom story, which is great. My favorite part of the first season was were the classism issues between Vicky and Lori. Mm -hmm. Like you work in my office, like I'm the boss. And then how it flipped right. once Lori met somebody who had money. Because really Orange County is all about how much money you have, which drives me insane because it's a very materialistic place where when you someone meets you, one of the questions they're going to ask is like, how much did you pay for your house? Do you have a boat? You know, what kind of car do you drive? Things that where I grew up, you would never ask. 
but people kind of choose their how they feel about you or if they have in, interest in including you in their social circle based on what you have. Like my kids, they're at a new school now and someone want, somebody said to me, well, a lot of people will kind of befriend you based on what they can get from you. Like, can you offer them like a, a second home where they can, like you can invite them on a vacation? I was like, so like who you are and how interesting you are, like that's not really important. They're like, no, it's about what you can offer somebody. And I guess my last question about all this is I was re-listening to your interview with Tamara to kind of prepare for today, and which is, by the way, a great interview and people listening to this should go check it out. Uh, but you said something in that interview that was really interesting where you guys were talking about the casting of the show and where it was perhaps going wrong. And you said there are archetypes here that aren't getting represented Mm -hmm. i'm just so curious like yeah what would one or two of those archetypes be that if you were casting the show you would want represented on camera a chinese woman an asian woman there's so much asian wealth here and i think their culture is so rich here i tell the story of um my kids got like a singing teacher it was like a joke. Like she came over and played like Disney songs and I sang to her recorder and she asked me to go to the recital. She said, your daughters, they want to be part of this recital. And I was like, okay, whatever. So we show up in like running clothes. Cause I am like, okay, we're singing into a recorder and I show up and it's at this place where there are pianos everywhere. And I suddenly realized it's all Asian families and they're in head to toe Louis Vuitton. And all of the kids that are playing the piano are in like tuxedos and I'm in running clothes. And then they announced my kids that were singing like Christina Aguilera songs. And I was like, I'm so embarrassed. Like what is happening? But that is like, there's a segment of the population here that is uh, foreign. They're very wealthy. They have a really strong community feel like the, the Asian, like specifically the Chinese community here it would be very hard for an, an outsider to infiltrate. Um, like I, my daughter's best friend's Chinese, so she gets invited to the parties. So you think that like the Dubrow parties are over the top? Wait until you see their parties. It's just like the most magnificent, magical kind of thing. They go over the top. Persian community is really strong here. Um, like a lot of people follow Casey Brown and Layla, Layla Milani on Instagram. And I'm often asked, why aren't they on the show? And I think they would be great because they're really beautiful. They're very charitable. They're great friends. And I think their like, peek into their world would be great. Essentially, when you're casting a show or building a show, what you really want to do is you want to give someone a window into a world that they don't know about. Okay. And so... I think those are two examples of like, those are windows into the world that I want to look at. Like, Mm -hmm. what are their cultural traditions? How do they look at the world? How has their life experience shaped how they raise children and their marriages and their friendships and all of those things? And I feel like with Orange County, you get the same archetype over and over again, where it's like a blonde suburban woman, where it is a suburban story but why can't you add to it? What is the suburban story for a Chinese immigrant mm-hmm. infiltrating themselves into a place that's a very coastal? What you're saying is really interesting because you're actually speaking 
as someone who doesn't live there, right? So I don't really know anything about it. You're speaking to why it actually has always been my favorite franchise. Uh, very much for the same reason that I think a lot of other people reject it, where they say, oh, you know, like, you know, the way they look and the religious conservatism and yeah, just the political conservatism. But that's, but that's another thing. That's that, it. only like two towns are conservative. That, Orange County is actually like they voted for uh, for Hillary Clinton. There are tons of communities that are not conservative. It's like this one small area that gets the that people think it everybody's like that it's not well i still but for me i was like i actually this is why i like to watch the show because it's like you know to your point i look i've lived in new york i've lived in la i know what it is to be in a big city it's like i want to see worlds and people that i don't normally see so i want to see alexis bellino you know in her marriage with jim and going to their mega church and you know i want to see the the mcmansions with the tuscan you know the faux tuscan decor because (laughs) it's like to me i'm like this is i mean i actually uh, so i obviously love reality tv i also love film as well but yet the reason why i always loved film was that same reason like ever since i was a teenager i would watch world cinema and foreign films and i was like this is how this is part of how I get to yeah. visit other worlds and learn about other right. cultures. And so for me, Orange County was always so exciting because I was just like, I, you know, I mean, even going back to the early days, like the OC Angels. I mean, guys, if yeah. you're listening to this uh, and you haven't watched the early seasons of Orange County. It's a must watch. Oh, it's so good. I mean, just I mean, I don't want to digress too much. But like when wait, I wait, also when you watch those early seasons, you see how patriarchal they were like their misogyny was so like Lou Knickerbocker to this day is the most diabolical person I've ever seen on Real Housewives of Orange County I was that's literally what I was about to bring up was Lou Knickerbocker yeah and the fact that he like ordered uh like a Thai mail order bride and then Mm -hmm. I mean again for anyone who hasn't watched it he you know Tammy Knickerbocker was one of the cast members her ex-husband was Lou they had two daughters together and this guy Lou would tell his daughters don't work you don't have mm-hmm. to worry about working a day in your life. I'm going to provide for you. You're going to be independently wealthy. I'm going to leave you everything. He orders a, a Thai mail order bride. And then ultimately between seasons, at some point he has a heart attack. And the rumor is the bride, the wife basically let him die. Oh, and, probably. <laughs> and then it turns out he had left her everything left yeah, Tammy course. and the daughters nothing nothing and, and then they were just basically screwed and then he had this energy drink and he gets all of these young girls to be like the models and it was very predatorial it was very uncomfortable watching it no yeah that's what that's why I think uh Lou Knickerbocker even popped in my head because you were talking about uh yeah like this we were talking about this world that I'd never really seen before like things like the OC Angels what well, also the question of like if you have that much money like the idea of the, the gates opening and you're like you're gonna go into this world and people would think oh my god they live they're living the life they have these mammoth houses but it's just cracking the door open and in the knickerbockers case that was actually the gate to their home the one that's used at the beginning oh right that was their gate and so the the metaphor of like you're going behind the gates you're going to learn the reality is just because you have money there are all of these awful things that still come um in life despite how much money you have I guess this is probably a perfect segue, right, into Tamra and this current season of Orange County because, you know, I mean, I can't help but think of her as you're talking about like this idea of like 
you know, getting a glimpse behind the gate and then sort of seeing the truth behind the facade. And yeah. I mean, I think we'll get there, but obviously, you know, Tamara is interesting for all sorts of reasons, but you know, she is someone who I think it was ultimately revealed was really in, you know, what I always consider an abusive marriage. I mean, I don't know oh, if that for sure. Yeah, I mean, emotionally abusive, energetically abusive. Yeah. And that's always so interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like it gets talked about in terms of we witnessed her journey in leaving him, but I also feel like it never really gets dwelled on that Tamara, who is, you know, uh, by all appearances and tokens, she is a outspoken, fiery, tempestuous yeah. woman. I mean, that's why she's got the reputation she does. And yet she was in this marriage to this man where uh-huh. she was yeah. really controlled and really Absolutely. scared to speak out. And that's so true to a lot of commu- suburban communities or I mean, actually really any community where sometimes the, the, the person that is most outspoken is privately suffering the most. Like that juxtaposition of her calling people out and 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 be and being combative but then she goes home where to a, a, a home where she has to be subservient mm-hmm. like there was a scene I talked about in that episode with Tamara where she was in the closet and she was choosing outfits to wear and the way he's like controlling her telling her what she can and cannot wear she's a mother she was in her 40s and he's like controlling everything down to the way that she dressed. And then when they're in the car ride on the way to the finale and she says, I want a divorce. It was like a real shift where she had, for the first time in her marriage, really asserted her own power. I think a lot of people watch that show because they saw themselves in her. Like, I want that too. I don't like the marriage I'm in. I don't feel like I'm the best version of myself. I want and deserve better for myself. And I think people really connected to that story. Sure, it's like you've got the, these houses and you know all of this other like materialistic stuff, but at the core of it really was a very common tale of the plight of women who often get married and have children and find themselves in a place where they they're like it's now or never. I've really got to leave at this point. Well, what really stood out to me in the episode that you did with her actually was when she talked about how prior to the show she never hung out with girlfriends. She never just yeah. had, she literally said like, I never just went and had meals and hung out with girlfriends. Like I'd have lunch with my mother. And when she said that, I, that was a real moment for me where I was like, but wow. don't you notice that a lot of women say that on these shows, like when the first girl's trip comes up for any real housewife, a lot of them will say, yeah, that's not something that I, that I ever really do. This is going to be the first time I'm with friends. That is like, Oh, then, you know, this is this is one of the reasons that this ex like we want to explore this because this is the first time you're really going to have a, a, a better sense of like who you are and where you want to go. I remember there was this one mom from the school that we used to go to and she told me she was looked at for um, uh, the housewives. And there were a couple things where she said that she said I was like, ooh, you know, when like the, the hair raises on the back of your neck, like one uh, she said it was like five o'clock. She goes, Oh, I bet you need to get home, home soon. So you can, you, you can make dinner for Dan. He's probably expecting it. Right. I went, I mean, I don't even know what he's doing for dinner. Like what? (laughs) Like, huh? And you could tell like, that's her life. Like she's so controlled by her husband. She has to be like, she has to be at home making dinner for him. I was like, 
we're in like the year 2020 or 2021. Like really? Another thing she said was something about going on a girl's trip. Like if you'd have to go to girl's trips on the show. And she said, yep. Um, he doesn't really like it when I go out with my friends. Like he, 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 it's not, it's not me that he doesn't trust. It's them. He doesn't trust. I'm like, that is so freaking controlling. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, I think that's a very common story for a lot of women. Well, what was fascinating too is Tamara talking about how it, it, like this experience essentially of being controlled, it was sort of all I ever really knew. Like she basically said, I I, I mm. never really had an experience of, I mean, I'm, I'm relanguaging it, but I never really had an experience of having permission to be myself. Uh, yeah. like she just accepted this for what it was because she thought that's what life was supposed to be. So for me, in terms of what I do, I start getting so curious about, you know, yeah, what her life was like earlier on, like what conditioned her to feel like these yeah. were just sort of the circumstances she had to accept. But I do think, you know, kind of to your point, part of the reason why I get so fascinated by Tamara is, you know, when people do, when this question comes in about whether the show is good for people, for me, Tamara is always kind of like the ultimate example of someone who just really I think thrived as a result of this show and the show Mm -hmm. really gave her a vehicle and a platform you know as you're saying to like know something different for herself and 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 also just gave her financial means to leave you know and to step Mm -hmm. in so much more to the truth of who she is so Tamara's really interesting because I will say much like Vicky I started watching the show season four and that's what, like I said, that's what got me into housewives and with both Tamara and Vicky, you know, I started out truly (laughs) hating them, not liking them. You know, like a lot of people, I was so disturbed by naked wasted. And then it was sort of like over the course of time, especially with Tamara and really seeing what was going on with her and Simon and then seeing her get away and really starting to understand sort of the depth of what she was living and how unhappy it was making her. I noticed Mm -hmm. like my relationship to both of them just started to change from, okay, I hate them. Uh, especially with Vicky, then it became, well, I love to hate them. I kind of am amused by their, their messiness and their eccentricities. And then somewhere along the way, it just turned into, I love these two. Like, I love these two. And to this day, Vicky and Tamara are two of my favorite housewives. Oh, not me. I don't like Vicky. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She's my least favorite housewife of all time. I don't like, I, I, I don't really like it when a woman does not want other women to succeed. And she doesn't want anyone else to succeed. She's totally disinterested in other people. Have you ever seen her sit down with anyone and ask them about who they are, what matters to them, ask about their children and their marriages? She's totally disinterested in other people and so insecure that all she does is brag about herself. Constantly says in uh, in the beginning seasons, like, you know, I'm working. She has to tell you all the time that she's working. Oh, totally. Oh, when I say I love Vicky, please understand. I, I'm not saying, yeah, she's very self-involved, yeah. <laughs> to say the least. No, but this is, I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's like I sort of grew to, one, really accept her for who she is and sort of to love her for all of her flaws. Uh, because I think for me, you know, Emily Hanks from She Seeks Bravo was asking me about this reason. She was like, I just don't, the one thing I don't get about you is how can you love Vicky? And I was like trying to explain it. It's just... I do feel like there's a vulnerability in her that for some reason touches me and moves me. I think she's funny, like both unintentionally funny, but also she can be intentionally funny. I think it's also, it's interesting just because we come from different viewpoints because I've probably worked with women like her who did not want me to succeed and did everything to sabotage me. So my reaction is based on my own life experiences. Mm. Somebody who would never collaborate with me, who has to tell me how successful and wealthy they are. 
And so my reaction to her is based on like other women I've had to work under maybe. And for you, maybe your reaction is based on uh, somebody that you knew, some sort of uh, mother figure or something. I, I, I just think that's why these shows are so fascinating. When we remember that uh, app Clubhouse where mm-hmm. you could t- like audio talk. Yeah, I was in a, a room one time and we were talking about housewives and there were some men in the room who love Real Housewives. And I remember asking them, what is it about Real Housewives that you feel so connected to? And this one man said, they're, they were, they're almost like the fantasy version of what I wanted my mother to be. Bunny. And I thought that that's interesting because their lens, your, your lens is so much different than mine. And because of that, we pick things out that I wouldn't necessarily pick up on because I'm stuck in my own view, right? So maybe you are willing to give her some grace in a way that I won't because of my own life experience. Yeah, totally. I mean, someone once asked me to, someone who also really liked Vicky, and they were like, why do I like Vicky? You know, like, what is this experience of actually liking Vicky? And um, I do have this feeling for a lot of us who like Vicky, they might be people who have had narcissistic personalities in their lives. And what Vicky Mm -hmm. almost allows you to do is to love the narcissist from afar. Because the thing is, like, people with narcissistic personality, and I always qualify this i'm speaking like colloquially colloquial you know what i'm saying i'm i'm yeah. not talking diet i'm not diagnosing anyone um but you know people who have narcissistic personalities they, they you know they can be really charming they have a lot of love in their hearts like there are things about them that can be so likable but then you know that you get lured into the spider web and so i do have a theory that maybe for a lot of people uh some of these personalities yeah it gives you that space to love the narcissist from afar but you don't have to you, you know you're not brianna you're not mike you don't actually have to deal with the reality yeah. of what it is sort of to deal with her on a day-to-day level I felt like I was way more Michael and Brianna. My life and my viewpoint and who I am is much more like Brianna and Michael. Mm-hmm. I'm the Michael in the world going, this is embarrassing and here's why. He calls out his mother all the time. I wish it was more housewives are more like that those days where like I think high school kids are perfect. Oh, me too. Me because too. they will like these housewives have cra- crafted this whole persona and they're the only ones who really can get away with cracking that. They're kids. Oh, I know. Those early years, I mean, half of what made the show so great was the high school kids. I mean, yeah. it, it brought a whole... I mean, I guess we get some of that actually with Family Karma, RIP, I guess. But, you know, just that mm-hmm. sense of like the generations, it just brings a whole dimension mm-hmm. to these shows that I think is so rich. But if you just met... Vicky through a show through the office, you kind of have this one perspective, but then because you get to meet their kids, you see this whole other layer to her. Mm-hmm. Like if we didn't have those scenes with Brianna and Michael, there's an uh, like aspects to her. We would, wouldn't necessarily um, learn, which are so important. The way Michael's always like, you're, you're conflicted or you're like a hypocrite and he calls it out. Because she's so intent like about this is the way I want to be seen. Well, and that's what I find so fascinating about her is there are these all these different facets to her where on the one hand she is I mean, I don't know if she's self 
I mean, she's self-made in the sense that she created this really successful business. She's an entrepreneur. She has a great work ethic, right? She's like really independent in that way. But then on the flip side of it, as we've all seen, so emotionally needy, so she's desperate. She's very needy. I don't, yeah, she's codependent, but wants to present herself as this independent woman. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of conflict there. <laughs> so that, this is why I've always loved watching her. I'm like, this woman is yeah. fascinating to me. But let's, yeah, let's, so let's head back to Tamara and let's go into this season because, you know, I think, you know, for me, the jumping off point, just as maybe if we sort of go in chronological order with the season is I, I was so immediately taken by how things started to play out in her relationship with Shannon. Um, particularly be because, you know, so I think for anyone who's listening to this, I'm sure you're aware. It's like, you know, Trace Amigas, they were all so close, right? Then Tamara and Vicky get fired. And, you know, the story, according to both Tamara and Vicky, is once they were fired, you know, Shannon kind of dropped them like a hot potato. And, you know, Tamara was incredibly hurt by this. She was sort of vocal about it. And then she sort of comes back on the show. And I want to say, like, Mm. I always really believed Tamara's version of events. Like, I really believed what she was saying, that she was in a time of need and that Mm. Shannon got scared. I mean, well, I'm saying Shannon got scared. So when I... I guess I'll do a little retroactive dropping in. I mean, when I did kind of intuitively feel around back then, like I did, I kind of felt like my best guess about this is Shannon got really scared. You know, when she saw the two OGs got fired, Trace Amigas is not the, you know, the guarantee mm-hmm. to show success. And it was almost kind of like, you know, how sometimes someone might get cancer and like someone like sort of drops them because there's just that fear somehow of like, not that the cancer is literally contagious, but the, the bad fortune, like the, the, like there's something there I don't want to touch or sort of like bring into my orbit. That's kind of what it felt like to me with Shannon of like, I, I gotta like protect myself. I gotta protect Mm -hmm. my financial security. I gotta protect my job. Like they're out. I'm in like something just very fear-based. Like, let me cut the cord. Um, but I, yeah, I really believed that. And I really felt Tamara's hurt and I really felt Vicky's hurt. And so I think for me, what I was so struck by when the, I was ready for Tamara to really come in and Mm -hmm. hold Shannon's feet to the fire. And, and I believe, she didn't. Yeah. And I really believed her when she said like the way that she, I mean, I forget it was sort of several months ago now, but the way that Shannon was talking around it, where I remember there was Mm -hmm. that one lunch where she was just kind of like, um, what did she say? She was like, I, I, I remember I called you and I had that one conversation where I asked about how Eddie was. And I was just like, this is not the voice of a woman who was like mm-hmm. consistently there for you over time through multiple. Yeah. Co- this is someone who's like cherry picking like, oh, mm-hmm. oh, no, see that text, that one text I sent where I asked you how you were. Oh, look, you didn't respond to that one. It's like you are justifying what you did. And so I think when I saw mm-hmm. Tamara so quickly kind of um not like change her tune but kind of like soften in this way where it almost felt like Tamara was the one who was overcompensating and just be like Shannon I'm so sorry Shannon I'm so sorry Shannon I'm so sorry Shannon forgive me Shannon forgive me I was really struck by that I was disappointed honestly and I was struck and I was just curious like did you have a take on where Tamara was coming from in all of that and why she pivoted so uh yeah so severely two things I think for the sake of story moving along I mean she does have a really good sense of like what makes a good show um and maybe she felt like especially I think for her watching the season before where she was not on she was like bored out of her mind like what is going on in the show uh like this is 
this is not the show that I was on. So what part of it may have been like for the sake of storyline, I'm just going to move on. But also then you go back to what were the conditions over the, her like origin story? Like, does she just give up easily when she realizes that a narcissist is not going to like back down because I'm sorry, but Shannon and Vicky are just totally self-consumed. That's a really interesting connect. Okay. Cause I was, I, so I was exploring a little bit about like, what is it in Tamara and Shannon I'm sorry. What is it in Vicky and Shannon that Tamara's drawn to? Because those relationships, you know, I got a lot of questions when I kind of said, well, oh, they're okay. like, they're like, I'm sorry. They're like Simon. Well, this is what's so interesting. So it always has to be on their terms and she's moving around them to accommodate them all the time. Vicky can be an asshole and, 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 uh, Tamara just kind of accepts it. Yeah. Well, that's what's so interesting. So when I first dropped into this, what I initially saw from Tamara towards Vicky and Shannon was kind of like they, they are authentically themselves and like that feels safe to me. Um, you know, because like Heather Dubrow, for example, as we all know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's very cultivated. And there was something with both Vicky and Tamara being so vulnerable, wearing their emotions on their sleeves. Even when Vicky tries to be calculating, she's so bad at it because she can't really hide what she's doing. And mm-hmm. so my first hit as Tamara was like, I feel safer around people like good, bad and the ugly. If you are who you are. That's where I feel safe. That's what I value. And there was something about the two of them just being so authentically themselves for better or for worse. Whereas Tamara, it's like, I can trust this. I know where I stand with them. And that feels safe and good to me. But I, you're bringing in something that is really interesting, which is, yeah, they both do have this kind of narcissistic bent where she is constantly contorting herself they're the kind of people that probably call her every night and they whine about things complain about things for two hours and she just eats it i think she's a person who has been conditioned to just eat it just like take it on take it on take it on which is in direct conflict for what everybody else thinks is a woman who's maniacal and conniving and has to be like uh pulling the the strings in the background but that's what's so interesting because and we'll get there but you know i think she does consciously or unconsciously pull the strings in the back like there is this mm-hmm. kind of contrast in her personality like i was saying earlier where maybe it's she, like maybe she likes it maybe she likes chaos some people just like like chaos well this is what's so interesting so i back sort of early early in the season maybe i was going to do a video or something but i did kind of intuitively poke around towards just first the fallout between her and shannon and i think some of the information that came through might kind of inform where we're going with this. But like, yeah, when I kind of dropped into Tamara first towards Shannon kind of dropping her like a hot potato, and I'm just going to kind of go into it a little bit now. Um, Yeah, it really was this feeling of like, I feel used. Like I got Mm -hmm. used. Like I, I was kind of to your point, I was there for you. I betrayed all sorts of boundaries. I took your calls morning, noon, and night. And it is kind of this feeling like I thought we were in something together. And now it's just like the second that I need you and I'm in a certain place, you're gone. And it's like, it it really is that feeling of like, I almost felt like we had a contract together. Like there was an understanding between us and mm-hmm. now you're gone. And I'm here with this empty space and I feel completely Duped. used. And yeah. like that, that quality of like that word, like I was used, I don't know, for whatever reason that feels so alive to me for Tamara. And then when I kind of went further with it of like, 
Shannon's response to the controversy because Shannon was kind of like, "Well, I, I don't, I don't know what she means. I don't know what she's talking about." Like, well, I, but she also doesn't seem like somebody who ever apologizes. Well, that's kind of her mo, right? The women have talked about that. She kind of plays dumb, right? Like that's sort of mm-hmm. one of her defenses. And so when I took that in as Tamra, like that, I mean, even just I just closed my eyes for a second, I could feel it. I just felt the outrage. It's almost like when I take in Shannon, sort of playing dumb and sort of not even. It's almost like it's like as Tamara, the way I experience it is like you're not even directly engaging with me. It's almost like as Tamara, I see Shannon almost like as a blind person who's like got her eyes closed and her ears shut and she won't sort of take in what's happening. And as Tamara, it's kind of like I just feel this rage. It's like see me and hear. It's like you're not taking me in. Is certainly part of it. And it's like, you're shutting me out. And it's like, I just hear this voice. It's like, see me, hear me. Something happened here. It's like this energy of, I'm just getting ignored. And yeah. what I have to say is getting ignored. And it's almost like as mm-hmm. Tamara, like, I could be okay with this if you came at me with mm-hmm. fire and intensity. And we're like, you're full of shit, Tamara. Like, no, I didn't. And like, at least then we can kind of be in some kind of relationship. But the fact that you're playing dumb makes me feel... Well, I, I mean, I think that that's probably why people you can understand, or I'd listen, this is based on nothing but my assumption, but it seems like she's very good friends with T- Teddy now. And the nice thing about that is Teddy understands the unique world that she's been in, right? As a housewife. Like how many people really understand that unique experience? Very few. But she's probably getting from Teddy what she never got from the other two. Like I'm assuming Teddy's the kind of friend that checks in on her and, you know, how are the kids and how do you feel about this? And I don't think she necessarily ever got that with Shannon and Vicky. Yeah. I'm just, I'm suddenly I was had an impulse to drop in from Tamara towards Teddy. (laughs) I'm just gonna, it is interesting though. Like when I do drop in, I I mean, I agree with you. I think there is like a really close friendship there. My, you know, take it or leave it, you know, based on my limited information, I do get this kind of hit though, that she, she still feels safer with Vicky and Shannon with Tam with them with Teddy. Well, they're, they're, well they do a share you know, similar ages, mm-hmm. so they have similar like um, references, and they've also known her a lot longer. But it's almost like for me, the quality of it is sort of because I hear what you're saying. Like Teddy, you know, I mean, I know people, a lot of people don't like Teddy, but yeah, when you listen to Two T's in a Pod, like it's clear, like Teddy is a very devoted, concerned, and thoughtful friend. And I almost just kind of got this flash as Tamara of like, like, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how much I fully trust this. Well, you know, what's sometimes funny in life too, is like the one thing that you want and then you get it and you reject it. Like, um, for me, like, uh, I was kind of overlooked by my family. So I just so badly want to get recognized. But then when I get recognized, recognize meaning like someone pays attention. So like my uncle would go, there's Katie. Like when I was a kid and I would walk in a room and then I was like uncomfortable with it because I'm so unused to it. Mm -hmm. So it's like you want something, then you get it. And then it's so um, you're so unfamiliar to it. You reject it. Mm -hmm. So maybe like with Tamara and Teddy, like Teddy gives her the 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 devotion and the attention and the support and the love that she doesn't get from the other two, but almost rejects it a little bit because she's so unfamiliar with a friend doing that. Well, and it's also like that's the place where she could get really hurt too, because it's right, like if which I, would be terrible, right? right like if which I would be such so painful. 
yeah, I buy into it. I let my guard down all the way. And then you betray me here. At least like, you know, let's say like with Vicky, I kind of know there might be a dart coming around the corner. Like I can anticipate it. And it's like when I do kind of like feel into that contrast between the two energies of like Teddy versus the Trace Amigas, when I sort of go into the Trace Amigas, it, it is. I mean, I just hear the word collusion again. It's like we're... It's like we're kind of sinking into like a dark little puddle together and it's fun and it's feisty, but it also allows me, yeah, I don't know. It somehow allows me to give over to something where I, it's almost like, because it is true. I mean, it is funny to me when I listen to Two Teas in a Pod, like how triggered Teddy gets by Vicky because she gets so triggered by Vicky, but it is true. Like there is a kind of integrity to Teddy. Yeah. You know, she's thoughtful about who she is, how she navigates relationships. Whereas, yeah, with like Vicky and Shannon, there really is kind of to your point, this sort of chaotic, narcissistic mess that it, it's sort of like, I, I'm just getting this image of like frolicking in a dirty puddle with golden retrievers. It's like fun. It's boundaryless. But there's also kind of an abandonment that you can kind of give yourself to because it is well, a mess. Also, they're all reality stars, so they're all bananas in their own way. So, I mean, they're all, we can't really uh, totally understand because they made the decision to put their lives on television and most of us would not do that. So there is that element too. I was just thinking too, when you were talking about how Vicky and Shannon both are the narcissistic spokes on the wheel and there's something in Tamara that's comfortable with that. And it did suddenly remind me of, I remember there was one scene, this must have been like, I guess this was maybe season five, right before the divorce, when she and Simon were like in the contentious marriage. And I remember her kind of confiding about it to her mother, Sandy. And I remember Sandy having this huge reaction where she sort of busted out bawling in tears at the restaurant. And that just seemed suddenly flashed in my mind because I remember the time being like, wow, that... This is like Sandy's kind of making this about her. Like this is not necessarily what I would call sound stable support for what Tamara's going through. It was kind of like a hysterical reaction. But I think now that I have kids, I can sort of understand a little bit of that too. It's a feeling of defeat. Like you think you, and you probably did the best job you could do all the, the, the resources, the emotional, the financial, all these things into your child. And then when you're sitting across from them and they say it wasn't enough and you let me down, it's like a really painful, painful thing. And I think she was just expressing that in that moment. I've had conversations with my own mom that are like that, where I'm like, you know, she once asked me like, did did you feel like I loved you? And I went, I, I no, I don't think you did. And then she just lost it. But is that what Tamara, did Tamara say? She was just expressing like what it was like for her to grow up and what her experience was. And the uh, essentially like how she looked at her own parents' marriage and how it affected her. And her mom sort of melted. Oh, right. You have the superior memory recall because <laughs> I'm like was that even in the scene because uh, I just remembered mm-hmm. it as her talking about like her divorce if you've raised a child like Sandy has and she seemingly is successful she lives in a beautiful place and she's married and she's had children and they're talking about their own life experience and then kind of uh, like a like alluding to well this was the experience that I had based on what I saw as a child that's pretty hard to hear Like you may have had these decisions that have ultimately really affected yourself and your children and were deeply painful, 
based on what I showed you as a child. She's questioning like every decision she ever made and she feels defeated because she did the best she could. I guess the difference for me, I mean, and that's not, not to discount anything you're saying. I think it's all really interesting. I think that like the difference for me that comes up is like, if you think about the conversation like recently on Roni that uh, Jessel had with her mother, you know, where she was really talking about the culture she mm-hmm. was raised in. I thought that was an example where Jessel's mother was clearly taking in what she was saying. I felt like she was impacted by it. She had feelings about it, but it still felt to me like the tone and the tenor of the conversation felt like support for Jessel and like what but she was going culture. through. It's a different yeah, culture. I'm just saying though, as an example, it's just interesting to me. Like I just remember... Yeah. And again, you know, speaking to your point about perspectives, this could be filtered through my perspective of certain relationships that I've navigated. But I do remember the way she broke down in kind of these hysterical tears in a moment where I, where I, what my memory of it was, was Tamara was going through something of mm-hmm. her own. I just remember mm-hmm. that really stood out to me. So when you brought in Tamara perhaps being comfortable, and by the way, this is not me saying, oh, Sandy's a narcissist, but... It's a possible indication that, yeah, maybe she was growing up around strong personalities that tended to have big reactions. Yeah. Well, what I get so curious about is Tamara's relationship to the truth and to being a truth teller. Because- well, I think there there are two things. There's probably one way in her life, but then she's also another way for a television show. There are certain pieces of those th- st- shows that you need people like Tamara to keep the story moving along. They just filmed a bunch of friends at a dinner party. It may not be the most interesting, but you need people like Tamara to kind of truth bomb uh, to get the story to move along. Well, that's what I think is so interesting because she actually has said on two teas in a pot, she's literally said, I'm not different on the show than I am in real life, which I don't, I mean, look, I don't know her in real life, but I want to say I experience her very differently on two teas in a pod than I do on the show because I got a lot of questions about like, Essentially, who is the real Tamara? Like, is all this behavior just for the show? You know what I mean? Mm. Is this the real her? And my feeling about it, honestly, is I think it's almost like the vibe I get off Tamara is that there is actually a truth teller in her. Um, I think she actually silences it a lot. So again, we see that with like in the relationship Mm -hmm. with Shannon. She was biting her tongue for the sake of the relationship. So it's almost like the vibe I get off Tamara is... Because the thing is, she does see things, you know, and she is that woman who will call things out. And it feels like she gets really agitated when she sees things that are disingenuous, like Gretchen, for example. Like, I'm seeing you present one way for the camera. Mm -hmm. I know something opposite's happening. It incenses her. But I get this sense that she wasn't supported to speak and to name what she's seeing, right? And in fact, mm-hmm. she would pay a price for it, right? So it's like she has to, like, somewhere along the way, she sort of learns I have to bite my tongue um, in order to preserve relationship. But I think there's a part of her that's, like, so outraged about that. So it's almost like... I feel like she had to do that in her marriage, though. Well, exactly. So, you know, I'm always looking at things as patterns. So it's interesting that yeah. she found herself in a marriage where she's sort of playing out that pattern of I'm a truth teller who has to bite my tongue. I'm a powerful woman and a spitfire personality who has to sort of keep myself small, right? And then the rage that happens as a result of that. So to me, it's almost like what happens with the show. The show, to your point, is like this vehicle where it's like, oh, we're supposed to bring out the dark truths. We're supposed to air people's dirty laundry. We're supposed to call people out. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like, you know, when I kind of orient her towards the show, it's this sort (laughs) 
<laughs> it's the sort of spirit of like, I get to just put the blinders on. I get to turn my heart off and I get to like have my say, have my way and do, and yeah. be celebrated for it and do it without apology. Mm-hmm. And I don't really even give a shit with the rapper. It's almost like I'm owed this. So it's like, do I think that a lot of her machinations is for the show? Yes. But do I think it's scratching an itch that actually mm-hmm. lives in her? Yes. Does that make Got sense? It. Very much so. And I think, you know, because I think a lot of people have been confused about what's sort of going on with her and Jen, you know, this season. And so for me, that almost kind of like when I sort of explored that, that felt like a prime example of this, where it really did feel to me like when Tamara's looking at Jen, there really is something in her that's sort of looking at her and saying, there's a way in which you're full of shit. Like, I don't buy what she you're selling. She does think she's full of shit. She thinks she's full of shit. Same? She's like, you don't belong on the show. You are faking this relationship because you think this is how you can stay on the show. You know as much as I know that this guy is not into you. He's probably sleeping with other people. I think that all that stuff bothers bothers her greatly. Well, and I also think, too, like the vibe I get is this whole yoga Zen thing's an act. Like this isn't the real you. And again, like when I drop into it, again, what always comes through is I don't feel safe. I get there's something about safety and truth. It's like I don't feel safe around you because I don't believe a word you're saying. But then what happens is it's almost like, I think what Tamara avoids, because we all saw it, right? Mm -hmm. And it was so convoluted that I can't even like parse out what happened. But it's like she starts whispering about things to other people and getting other people talking about it. And then she waits till things are on camera. And, you know, this is the kind of stuff people point to. And they're like, oh, Tamara's a producer and she's manipulative and she's trying, you know, this and that. But my feeling is like for Tamara on a personal level, like I feel like the invitation for Tamara would almost be like to sit down with Jen. And to just be like, look, I care about you. I love you. Like, I value our friendship. There are things to me that don't add up. And it's X, Mm -hmm. Y, and Z. And I'm going to give it to you straight. And I'm going to be direct about it. And I feel like Tamara's impression or her her experience is if I do this, like, I'm going to lose the relationship. I'm going to be disbelieved. I'm going to be made the bad one. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's something about that that's, like, intolerable to her. I mean, even saying it, like, especially I'm going to be made the bad one. I feel this, like, rage start to build in my chest. Yeah. So if I trust this, it's, like, it's some sort of, like, history around, like, my voice of truth. Not only, like, was it not heard and received, I was made wrong for it. I'm not going through that again. Maybe this is where I betray myself in relationship. But, again, the truth matters to me. I mm-hmm. want it out. I'm pissed about Like I've got an ax to grind because I've got something to say that's true. But rather than bringing it out directly and risking that disconnection and risking being made the bad guy. Oh, I've got something else to say about this. That's interesting. Uh, uh, rather than being made the bad guy, I'm going to kind of play it safe by bringing the truth out. But in this really circuitous kind of manipulative way that feeds something in me, but kind of allows me to like stay safe from whatever. I agree with you. Mm -hmm. Well, the thing that just came in that was so interesting, because again, I'm always looking at things as in pattern. So I think like we, we draw in 
uh, people, places, and events that reflect patterns in our lives. And so from a spiritual perspective, I feel like we draw it in in order to work through it and sort of to heal what needs to be healed. So, you know, the, yeah. uh, the fundamental, like, you know, examples like, oh, I always date my dad or no matter how I tra- change a mm-hmm. job and I end up in the same place. It's like the universe is kind of asking us to really look at something. And what came in when I was saying I'm going to be made wrong for bringing out the truth, I was suddenly like, oh, my God, that played out on such a huge level with that Gretchen conflict, right? Because it's like, yeah. I, I, and I'm saying this as someone who for season, I didn't like Tamara because of how she treated Gretchen. Now, I believed every word she said about Gretchen. It's not that I thought Gretchen was telling the right. truth. I knew Tamara was telling the truth. It was the vitriol with which she went after Gretchen. But the reason why I'm saying this, it's so interesting to me. It's like, here she is again, kind of like, I'm fighting for the truth. I'm fighting for the truth. I'm fighting for the truth. And then she gets made the villain. Mm-hmm. Now, again, yeah. I think she played a part in that in the way she went about it. But from a place of pattern, isn't it interesting? Like there it is on like a televised scale of I go after the truth and I'm made wrong for it. And I just had this feeling in terms mm-hmm. of early experience that's something she's sort of been navigating inside of herself for a long I time. I think so. I think so too. So where are you with Tamara and Heather Dubrow? I mean, I just think they're coworkers. Because I definitely got a lot of questions about, you know, what seems to be Tamara kind of setting Heather up for the fall. Like there's a lot of conflict right now in the season. I think a lot happens off camera about most of the stuff that, that angers them or about things that happen off camera. Like how come you get more time off or you're not being honest about all the layers of your life? You, we can talk about these things, but we're not allowed to talk about those things on camera. And they know things about each other, but they're not necessarily friends. And that I think makes it difficult to watch things unfold. If there was a pre-existing relationship, it would be, it would flow more, but because they act like coworkers, it just feels disconnected. And I just, I have a hard time imagining those two ever have a really in-depth deeply personal conversation about things that are upsetting them in the world. It just feels like they, they show up, they clock and they leave. Do you think that they ever had a genuinely close friendship? No, I think they have nothing in common. So you think it was just kind of an alliance for the show? Yeah. Do you think they believed it was a real friendship? No. Oh, that's interesting. I feel like Heather's checked out. Like she's not really into the show anymore. And they're like, let's be honest, they're not her friends. That's kind of part of my not loving the season as much as everyone else is is that yeah i again for me i think it's just the fact that so much of this just feels like it's about the machinations of the show because i agree Mm -hmm. with you it's like heather's not really a fit in this group and it's what's been so interesting to me though since heather came back last season um I have experienced her somewhat differently than back in her heyday of being on the show in the sense that, yeah, I mean, clearly, well, I think getting fired humbled her, you know, and then I think obviously pretty close to being an empty nester is, you know, it's its own process. And like all of us, she's obviously getting older. And I I just, since she's been back, I have felt more humility in her in the sense of she feels a little bit more lost to me like i feel like back in the heydays because the season before she held all the power everyone was kind of moving around her now they're not and i think the fragile the the uh, the ego of a reality star is very fragile but i felt it even last season i mean i was sort of uh what's the word on the fence about the scenes with her kids like i felt on some level 
they were very self-produced. Like, you know, I'm bringing my family on the show and I'm showing myself as a mother. And I also thought there was like a genuine, genuine warmth and sweetness to them. Like she clearly loves her kids a lot. And I remember her sort of talking to her kids like more vulnerably and creating space for their vulnerability. And I, and I remember feeling like this feels a little bit different than the woman from five years ago, or however many years ago it was, who had all the answers and knew everything and was sort of... Well, I do think there's truth to that, that there there represents a lot of women, I think, that they kind of think they wrote the parenting manual and then their kids, you know, become eighth graders or, or go into high school and you're like, shit, this is stuff that's a whole new world. I It may have worked for me as a kid, but I have a, com- a child with a completely different personality. Things are much different than when I was growing up. You know, it's hard raising children. It's there. It's the most humbling experience. I call it joyful agony (laughs) because you're so joyful because you just love your child like no any like no other. But the agony is like you're perpetually worried about them. You want the best for them. They don't always see your way. You're terrified that they're going to make a wrong choice. It's 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 both things. It's, it's a a really hard experience. And I think as your kids get older, the more you realize you don't know anything. It's so easy when they're younger, when you're like, I'm nailing it because they eat organic and they have lots of friends and they seem to be reading on time. And then you add all these other moving parts to it, social media and their friends and the competition of like, did they get it into the right, you know, SAT program and are they going to go to the right college? And a lot of people can't separate their own ego with this, the, the accomplishments of their children in their minds. They wanted their child to go to this school and to be this elite athlete or to be that. And then when they don't actually come through and they're not what they expected of their child, they take it personally so um, I think you're seeing a really actual relatable story, but I also think she's sort of checked out by now because I two things. I don't think those are her real friends. And two, I don't think she really sees herself as somebody who is going to be in Orange County. Mm-hmm. I feel like she's got one foot out the door. Now she's got the twins that are off at school. She is another one who's like a higher, higher in the high school experience, but then she has a, a, a child in middle school. So I think she's sort of like floating because she's asking herself, do I see myself living here until my youngest graduates from high school or should I like go and move to LA and kind of move into another chapter of my life? Does this show really represent me anymore? And I don't know if it really does. Yeah. And like, what do I even want out of it? You know, like what am I here for? Cause to your point, if it's really not sort of, moving the needle in the way that maybe I want the needle moved. What is this about? I mean, obviously probably what it's about is like whatever kind of fringe benefits of being culturally relevant and the fame sort of can give her. But I I'm sure there are even questions in her mind of like, to what degree this is a stepping stone to the actual career that she would want. So yeah, I think to your point, I, Mm -hmm. I sort of agree with you. I think there is kind of a sense almost of like, you know, is she phoning it in? Like, I'm here because it, it, certainly I'm sure it means something to her ego to be asked back, especially last season when she was misguidedly being heralded as kind of like the comeback of Orange County. But it's like sort of beyond bragging rights, beyond being wanted back, beyond mm-hmm. the quick hit of fame and whatever that does for her. It's like, what is she really mm-hmm. doing there? Heather? I think Tamara has no 
tolerance for classism. And I think Heather gets under people's skin because she makes it clear I'm at a different socioeconomic level than you are, which is interesting for us as viewers to watch. But I think if you're on the show, you know, you already have these power dynamics based on how long you've been on the show, how much you're paid, how much camera time you get. And then you have the added layer of someone being classist. How do you have a real friendship through that? Well, I think too, like the friendship with Heather, if that's what we want to call it, was another example of Tamara probably seeing Heather for who she is and a lot of the behavior that was problematic and keeping quiet about it for the sake of the friendship, whether we're calling it a fake friendship or a real friendship, keeping quiet about it. And, you know, I kind of liked your word about her, you know, sort of contorting, like being the Tamara contortionist Mm -hmm. um, and disowning probably a lot of what she was seeing in service of keeping. It is so fascinating to me how her closest friendships on the show really do seem to involve so much of her kind of like biting her tongue and tiptoeing around sort of who they are until she explodes. Right. Exactly. Cause that's the rage of keeping quiet. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think she likes Eddie because Eddie allows her to just be who she is. And Eddie, I think works really well for her because there is a kind, you know, what's the expression quiet what uh, quiet waters run deep stormy waters run deep mm-hmm. like he feels like a quiet yeah. storm. like it feels like there's a lot going on in eddie but he eddie just keeps it under wraps not in a bad way i mean it mm-hmm. seems to work for him he seems like a guy who just has a very there's something sort of energetically almost detached about him oh for sure he's very detached from the household i don't think he cares about the show i don't think eddie cares about being on camera that's better for her to have someone like that like like don gunvalson was great for vicky because he didn't really care if if you have someone who's a housewife who loves the action and chaos you got to have somebody in your life that doesn't care is like completely disinterested and i get the sense that that's his kind of energetic vibe in general you know he mm-hmm. takes whether it's like completely authentic or not it feels like there's sort of a laid back approach to life and i think you know what i'm getting through this is she doesn't have to contort around that because he like yeah. you're saying because he energetically hangs back she kind of is just free to be who she is and it's probably yes. why their relationship works so well and yeah that there's kind of like a sense of safety it's interesting because I was just kind of feeling into like Tamara in relationship to Eddie. And it does sort of feel like, oh, I, I get this freedom to be this fireball who sort of like ping pongs around and runs here and runs there. Even though I actually do understand she's she's quite like she leads a pretty kind of calm life off the show. Yeah. But energetically, I think, you know, she's kind of a fireball. But where that took me was almost like, again, I just sort of get this impression and I'd be so curious for her of like being a young girl you know, who is a fireball and has tons of energy and is running here and running there and maybe saying things and just really wondering, like, Mm -hmm. what did she learn about that when young? Again, coming back to the contortionist, like, I've got all this energy that wants to move. Oh, shit. I mean, both as a human being and also specifically as a girl, like what it means to be a woman, you know, who has this kind of like fiery truth telling energy. And again, kind of like I have to contort my energy to stay in relationship And I especially wonder how it relates because one of the things I'm always aware of in terms of pattern is, do you notice how she gets so incensed specifically around like problematic relationships? So it was like, yeah, 
Gretchen and Slade and being so mm-hmm. fixated on Slade being a bad guy and Slade being a deadbeat well, dad. Yeah. And then even like this season, it's like Jen and Ryan and mm-hmm. like being so fixated on their relationship from the place of pattern. I just wonder if because her parents did not divorce until she was older. Right. Because that was like a whole storyline. They divorced when she was like mm-hmm. in her early 20s. Yeah, like, but I feel like her dad like kind of abandoned her a bit. Oh, did he? Because I just wonder, like, was there stuff she was seeing about, like, the relationship I mean, between them yeah, that she wasn't sort of allowed to name or speak, you know? And again, like, that truth teller who want like, someone who feels safe around the truth and wants to say something. But, like, if I say it, I'm the one who gets made wrong for it. Then I learn yeah. I need to contort myself, you know, again, mm-hmm. perhaps specifically as a girl, as a young woman. And then I'm sort of conditioned to be in these sort of, like, colluding, controlling relationships where, like, I'm biting my tongue. And then suddenly I'm in this sort of nightmare marriage with Simon. And then mm-hmm. again, yeah, it's like the show kind of comes along. And gives her this avenue for... It gives her the freedom to be to to be whom she had always wanted to be, which was someone a little bit more honest. And I think it's interesting, too, because like mm-hmm. a lot of the DMs I got, people were like, does she, you know, in a way, like, does she care about the destruction she creates? Does she care about these friendships? And I almost... Because the thing is, like, if you listen mm-hmm. to her on Two Teas in a Pod, I really do get the sense that Tamara is someone with a like she's a loving woman and she's i mean clearly like she loves eddie it's clear she loves her kids like she's got a heart Mm. in her and it's almost like for me like i said earlier when it comes to the show it's like she allows something in herself to turn off in order to Mm -hmm. let that truth teller run wild and it's almost like i said before i feel like some part of her feels like she's owed this but what's interesting to me it's almost like the true risk for her that I think she wants to avoid is if she were to bring her heart in with the woman who also tells the truth and calls things out. And again, I feel like that's where she could get hurt because like if her intentions are good again, Mm -hmm. and she really sits down with someone and says, look, I care about you, but this is what I see. And I want to be in relationship with you. And then they fucking pull a Shannon you know, mm-hmm. and they're out or they pull a Heather who can't hear it and they're out. I just sort of feel for her where it might take her to this young childhood place of like, oh my God, I'm getting left again just yeah. for telling the truth, just for being who I am. And to the child, it's intolerable. Yeah. The other thing that's sort of interesting, just like as my mind is grazing all this and like thinking about that notion of Tamra maybe being more of a free spirit who has to be a contortionist. And then I sort of, again, go back to Gretchen. Um, And I definitely think part of her was triggered by the, what's the word? The disingenuousness. Like, you know, Gretchen not being true to who she is. Like I said, I think that makes Tamara feel unsafe, which is so interesting to me that I keep coming back to that word. Like, I don't feel safe here if the truth is not being told. But, um, what I'm also so aware of about Gretchen, it's not just that she was hiding things, right? Because you could say, like, for example, maybe Jen this season is hiding things. But it's that in her secret world, Gretchen gets to be this kind of wild, crazy young woman. You know what I mean? Who doesn't really have to, quote unquote, pay a price for it. And it just yeah. suddenly sort of occurred to me. I wonder if there was sort of like a double-edged whammy there of like, again not only is Gretchen lying about who she is but meanwhile I'm in this 
controlling marriage where I play by the rules and I mm-hmm. dampen my free spirit. This woman's going out there, mm-hmm. you know, whatever she's doing, like J photo glue, you know, laughing it up, being wild, being carefree. And she gets away with it. Probably. Yeah. And then just as I said, that would also really like sort of came to me too, like in that same vein is, and here I am in my marriage with Simon and I'm not even seen for how hard I try. I'm not even seen for how well I play by the rules. I'm not even seen for how much I contort. Like I do it. I'm not even recognized for it. Mm -hmm. And then this dishonest woman gets to like lie about who she is and like, you know, party till the sun goes down. And by the way, again, I'm not saying that Tamara's a partier, but again, I'm just speaking to the energetic kind of like free spirit. I I get what you're saying. Yeah. Well, is there anything else related to OC that you want to bring in or touch on? No, I think we did a really good job. Well, Kate, why don't you tell people where they can find you and what they should be checking out and like what you're excited about right now? Well, every Monday I put out a list of what to watch in Unscripted TV. And it's a great guide throughout the week. But you can also, when you subscribe to it, you can go back and look at archive lists. So you could go back two months and go, oh my God, I missed that documentary or I missed that reality show. And you can get that at katecasey.substack.com. You can listen to my show wherever you listen to podcasts, Reality Life with Kate Casey. I have six episodes a week. I also have bonus episodes on Patreon, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash Kate Casey. I just did one about Danny Masterson and Bijou Phillips and why she may have supported him. I have a Facebook group, Reality Life with Kate Casey, and then on social media, on Twitter at KKC, Instagram at KKCCA, and TikTok, it's KKC. Okay, doing it all. And if you were to tout one thing to watch right now, what do you think people should be watching? Okay, I'm going to give you something in, in different categories. So if you love true crime, watch Vatican Girl, about a girl that disappeared um, in the 80s. She was on her way to a flute lesson and never returned, and how the Vatican may be involved in her disappearance, and that's on Netflix. For sports, I would recommend Welcome to Wrexham, which is about Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds uh, basically being the real-life Ted Lasso, who they bought a soccer team in Wales, and it like kind of covers their experience as team owners. Uh, if you love reality shows, I think that right now, Real Housewives of Salt Lake City is surprising me how layered it is. Okay, great. I um I finally took the below deck down under plunge. So I've been, I've been binging that season. That's my latest nighttime viewing. All right. Well, as always, you can follow me, Jamie Stein on Instagram, J-A-M-I-E-S-T-E-I-S-T-E-I-N. And um, check out my work at hollywoodreadings.com and send me an email if you have any interest. Kate, thank you so much for being here. It was such a pleasure to have yeah, you. Thank you. Like I said, it's over five years in the making. So we finally did it. Yeah, we did it. Okay, you guys, see you on the flip side. (laughs) 